Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Welcome, everybody. It's been a long little break for me. There's, there, I've been intending to kind of post a few podcasts, etc., but the funny thing is that we, we recorded two. Phil and I recorded two with a couple of friends, one friend for one and a different friend for another, and both of them did not actually record the third audio, so we had to totally ditch it. And then we moved into a new house, and we started remodeling, and school was starting, and there was more jobs, and working with college ministry is starting again, and it was just so, it was just a lot at one time, and we realized that we were way in over our heads. So we typically, we tend to do that, just bite off way more than we could chew. And I think the end result is great, because we're, it's so fun to, to see what's produced from your labor. And it's knit our family together, our little nuclear family together more and given us more perspective about what, what we want our family to be about and what we want it to center, center around. And a lot of that is working with each other, having some type of economy in our household. So pouring into where we are, working the small land that we have because that's what God gave us and we want to nurture it and make it beautiful, grow things from it. And so it's been a it's been a really rich season and also a, just a very tiring season. But there's a story that I've been wanting to share for quite a while. And one uh, right after I heard this story, it was on the radio. I heard the story and I wanted to give a hot take on it. And I had videoed, I'd taken a little video of my response to it and I sent it to Phil because he kind of critiques and gives me feedback. And he said, I wouldn't post that. (laughs) And he said, if I could give you some advice, I would just say, in general, don't do hot takes. Like don't, don't record yourself or, or post anything publicly immediately, which I know in my head, but there was so much passion (laughs) that I had in response to this, what I heard on the radio that I just, I didn't want to forget about it. And Lo and behold, I have not forgotten about it. It was probably six months ago that I heard this on the radio. But for a while, I've wanted to do a podcast episode on Christian radio. And I grew up listening to Christian radio. There are, I think, a lot of good things about Christian radio in the sense that it's better than the alternative. And there are good things that are said. There is some scripture that is read in general, the songs are not about things that you would have to put your hands over your kids' ears and say, don't listen to this. But it turns out there are some things that you would, that I don't actually want my kids to hear that are, that is on a Christian radio. And it's not because it's blatantly 
ungodly, but it, I think it's a distortion of what is true, good, and beautiful, and what actually reflects the whole counsel of God and the full character of Christ that is just so westernized and so diluted and really weak that I don't want them to grow up with that type of Christianity, that that type of cultural Christianity that is just, I guess what you would say one of our pastors at our church called therapeutic moralistic or moralistic therapeutic deism. And it it really is like this feel good, how can I feel good about this message? And and I don't want that to just be flooding their ears all the time. But I'm going to tell you a specific story that I that I listened to, and I, I don't want you, I don't want people to take this as me sitting on the sidelines and just bashing uh, people that are trying to do an alternative to secular radio. But I do want you to hear it as a critique because I think this this is more a reflection of our Christian culture than it is a critique of someone doing something unchristian. It's just it, it reveals where we are as a as a culture in in the West and especially with Christianity. So here's how the story goes. Okay, I'm in my car and I'm listening to the DJs discuss something with a caller who is a man and a woman who are the DJs. It was on Caleb. And then a caller calls in and says, it's a, it's a female. And she says, I've been dating this man for a while. And we've been talking about marriage and there's this concert coming up. I can't remember who the concert was, but it was someone that anyone who's grown up with Christian radio would know about. And she said, he keeps joking with me about that, that I should propose to him. And the DJs are kind of laughing. Oh, how cute. You know, because (laughs) I don't mean to make a mockery of this, but they're, they're quote positive and encouraging. They, they legitimately cannot, it seems like it's in their contract. that They can't actually say anything critical. And I don't mean mean, I just mean critical. Like they cannot critique anything. And so they just respond and kind of laugh. And so the one, I think the female DJ says, well, you know, there, so the man and the woman, the caller and her boyfriend are going to that concert. And she says, well, why don't we try to make something happen so that the band like takes a break, like during their break, your boyfriend, or you tell your boyfriend like, oh, I have to go to the bathroom. And really you go up on stage and they let you propose to him on stage. Oh my, and they're, they're all saying, oh, that would be, oh my goodness, it would be so great. And I am, I'm trying to choose the right words. I'm kind of gagging inside because of how absurd that is to support the idea of a woman taking leadership in a relationship. And for those of you who already are on the same page with me that men should be the ones leading at the very at the very least spiritually in the relationship, I think that you can see where I'm coming from in that because you're already setting that relationship up so that the woman is leading. You've already done that. You've already basically cut the legs of the, well, actually the man cut his own legs off and you're supporting that. Instead of saying, well, you know, he really should be the one taking the initiative because you get to say yes or no, 
but he's the one that ends up steering the ship and it's his responsibility and it's male headship for the household. So you should actually encourage him that, I don't even know. I mean, honestly, I don't even like that, but at the very least they should be encouraging her that he should be the one to make those decisions and to get the ball rolling and how feminized our Christian culture has become that people can't even see it. When I bring up anything about feminism in general in the church, and it's not its not like third wave feminism, it's kind of like just, egal- it's very much egalitarian. If I bring up anything as it um, pertains to a an egalitarian, a critique on egalitarianism in the church, where I see it in the church and maybe where I see it in media that Christians are consuming and they're totally unaware of it, uh, such as TV shows or in books or in the Disney stories. Or if I say, if I say, give this story about what the, this particular scenario on the radio, a lot of people don't even recognize it for what it is and that it is switching the order of headship. And it's saying it really doesn't matter who is the head or who's leading things. Really, we're just going to say all that really matters right now is that, okay, it's a man and a woman. But that is the Christian version, version in my opinion, of everything LGBTQ. They're basically adopting all of the... I don't know if it's all of the, but at least some of the presuppositions and some of the values that are within the LGBTQ worldview, but calling it Christian because they're not explicitly gay. But it is this whole supporting a woman proposing to a man is gay. That's a gay thing because it's unfruitful and it is not male headship and the design that it was supposed to be. And when you're doing that to a woman, when you're supporting that in a woman, you are legitimately setting her up for a very unhappy marriage. You're setting her up to always wonder when this man is going to take the lead and when he is going to be strong for her and when he is going to direct in the way that she needs to be directed, the way that she needs to be led. And she's going to say, why aren't you leading? And the answer is because from the beginning, he wasn't a leader. He capitulated that. He gave that to you because presumably he's also bought into this more egalitarian uh, framework of operating in relationships between men and women. And so Ideally, actually, what a real friend would say is either that doesn't seem like the person that you would want to submit to your whole life because he doesn't even really want you to submit to him. He wants you to lead him. Or it doesn't seem like he understands male headship. And since that is God's design, why don't you reevaluate the situation? We don't have to come at people with guns blazing, but good grief, like you are ushering, ushering this woman into probably at the very least a very, a a relationship with a very weak male figure. And, and ladies, we, we don't want that. You're not going to like that. That doesn't mean that the woman is weak when the male is strong. That just means that he is, will be, can be a good leader. He can make hard decisions. He can actually pop the question. If he can't 
ask you to marry him and he's going to put that in your corner, then I, I mean, I would advise a young woman, don't spend more time in that relationship. That is not going to be a fruitful relationship. That's not going to be a relationship that you're at rest. That's not going to be a relationship that you're at peace. Peace when he consistently is pitching or throwing the ball back in your corner. So that's part of my critique of Christian radio. But even beyond that, you can see a lot of these the issues kind of rearing their heads in Christian radio when you hear them advertise people like Joyce Meyer. And I don't remember if she was advertised in California, but she's definitely advertised in the South. And I think, are people, are we really giving our money to K-Love, who, the, the, an organization that is, that is supporting women going to see people like Joyce Meyer? Like, have we, have we stooped that low? I mean, I know that the West is wholly uncatechized and has a very weak, even in, most modern churches as a very weak understanding of our core Christian doctrines. Most people couldn't tell you what the Nicene Creed is, what the Apostles' Creed is. They have no idea even what catechesis is. So I, I get that, but then we have this very successful Christian organization that people are funneling money to, and they are so weak that I cannot imagine I don't know how it's so popular, but I guess, again, that is just a reflection of where we are as a culture. Okay, so that's kind of it on Christian radio. I just, I would rather not. I would rather listen to people like the Psalms albums by Brian Sauvé or by Shane and Shane or by The Corner Room or there's so many different people that do Psalm sings or listen to hymns or I would, or there's, there's modern worship music too that is lovely and rich and beautiful. It's harder to find obviously, but when you find it, you get connected to other artists as well. So I would just encourage people when you're filling your kids' minds with things, fill it with things that aren't just God is bigger than the boogeyman. You know, I mean, that's a cute song. I'm not ripping on it, but fill it with more than that. That is kind of like Funyuns, if we're going to compare it to, to like food. Yeah, it'll give them some calories, but it doesn't actually sustain them. Give them a, a full meal, give them some meat, give them some some greens, give them fruit, give them a little sweet at the end, give them the whole package. Don't just give to them what is easy and gets digested really quickly and then spikes their blood sugar. So think about how we're filling our kids' heads with things. Okay. What do I want to go on to next? (laughs) I have a list in front of me. Okay. So let's rewind a little bit. There was, yes, okay, this is what I want to talk about. So there was a post that I put on Instagram probably, uh, it was close to two years ago. It was probably like a little over a year and a half ago. And it was a post from a guy talking about, talking about modesty. And first of all, Well, okay, let me say this. I said at the time that I wanted to revisit this, but I wanted to gather people's opinions on the post first. And the, I I have, that's one of the few topics that I have gotten like a flood of responses because women felt very passionately about what I was, 
what I had reposted. Now, the post, I actually, on, on the post, I asked for people's opinions. I said, oh, it seems kind of convicting to me. Can you, can you give me, what are your guys' opinions on this? And the post said something about women should never do the three things. I'm kind of summarizing, but it was something like, uh, women should never, Christian women should never be posting pictures of them in their bras and underwear, even if it's like a weight loss journey. They shouldn't be uh, posting pictures of themselves in bikinis. And then the last thing was they shouldn't like basically post themselves half naked after birth, like people posting birth photos. And one of the reasons I posted that is because I had, I think legitimately just, just uploaded a video of my birth story with Camille And so I was thinking about it, wondering, hmm, should I have done that? Should I have not done that? And if you know me at all, you know that I tend toward extremes. So I like to find, I think a lot of people are like this, but I like to find a camp that I can settle in and I can just agree with about everything. (laughs) But lo and behold, I don't actually agree with everyone on on anything. There are camps of people that I strongly over, I overlap on a lot of issues with, but then there's always, you know, a couple that a couple of major issues that I'll diverge on. So I wanted to just agree, either I'll totally agree with the post or totally be against it. And so I saw, I was thinking about the birth thing and just wondering if it was appropriate for me to post that or not. Currently, if I just had to give an assessment, I do think there's a difference between maybe in your story or in the main picture, posting a picture of you like half nude with holding your newborn baby versus the first shot being of you holding your baby and saying, hey, these are birth photos. And someone someone deliberately swiping through those to see all the birth photos is is different. You know, people aren't able to filter through the first picture that they see on the internet, like they are, if it's a series of pictures that you have to swipe through. So I would be, I think now I would just be more cautious about what I initially post and maybe give some type of disclaimer because I do think birth is beautiful and I do want other women to be involved in mom's stories about birth and how it's normal and it's lovely and it's good. And generally, I don't think, I don't think this is true. I don't think if a guy knows that it's going to be a bunch of birth photos, I don't think he's going to look through it. But if it's just the first photo, like on his feed from something you posted, then he doesn't have any way to navigate around that. He just sees it right away. So I think that's where I'm at with posting those types of pictures. I do fully agree with the fact that there is no reason for believing women to ever post pictures of themselves in underwear or bikinis. And we can flesh that out later, but that's where I stand on that. So, okay. But back to the modesty talk in general, there was a lot of feedback on, on the modesty thing. And it, I think more than anything else, it made me wonder why were women so passionate about that? Like, now I could tell you, I could name many women off the top of my head that if I brought up modesty, I know they would, I wouldn't even have to 
prompt them in the conversation, they could just go off on their thoughts on it. It is something that women react to, like, um, I don't know how else to say this, but the fact that it's just a very strong reaction. And I think there's many reasons that go into that. One is because when we talk about modesty, most of the time people are talking about clothing, which modesty is more of a posture of the heart. You know, it's an, it's, it's a posture of look at me or no, look at what is beautiful and good and true. So are you pointing others toward the beauty, um, that God gave you and the world and people and women and men? Like, are you pointing toward that type of beauty or are you centering everyone eyes on you? Like you are, the one that deserves and needs all of the attention and the accolades for your beauty? Like, are you trying to center attention on you? And Phil and I have talked about this. There is a difference between a, a woman walking into a, let's say, I don't want to say a, a wedding, a, a more elegant party, a ball or something with a lovely dress that people are, le- that the people look at and they think, wow, she looks lovely versus a woman coming in with, um, a very tight dress that says, Ooh, look at my body, a very tight and form fitted low cut dress that says, look at my body. There, there is a difference to that because one, I think fashion itself can be, can be glorifying to God because it plays on, it reflects beauty that we see both in nature and that we see in, man cultivating and creating beautiful things with fabric and materials and clothing, etc. So I do think that you can dress in such a way that is beautiful and modest, lovely and modest, and, and even attractive, like not necessarily attractive all to you, but attractive to what is beautiful in what you're wearing or how you adorn yourself. And you can still be very modest and do that. Um, you could also wear very ugly clothing. You could wear <laughs> things that are not form-fitting at all and be completely immodest because you're still trying to attract attention to yourself. So, well, I don't, you, you could have the attitude of, I don't wear anything low-cut and I don't wear anything short. I am so modest. But the reason that you're wearing those ugly clothes maybe is because you want people to notice you. You could have a very immodest heart one way or the other. So it's not necessarily about bikinis and it's not necessarily about wearing things that don't go below the collarbone. It's it's an attitude. It's a posture of your heart. Um, you could be immodest in the way that you speak. You could be immodest in the way that you... Um, come to the airport in the way that you talk on the phone and you know, anything that is intentionally drawing attention to yourself can be an immodest thing. But obviously as a culture, we reduce this a lot of times to clothing because it's just the easiest thing to assess. So uh, there could be many women that just haven't been and men. Okay. Yes, I know. I hear my friends right now saying men too. Okay. I get it. But women are just more beautiful. Let's just, let's just acknowledge that women are, are more beautiful than men as a species. They just are. And that doesn't mean I'm more attracted to females. I just know that they're more, more beautiful species than men are. Their hair, their eyelashes, their figure, like it's just beautiful. And, um, so that's kind of why I'm focusing, focusing on them. But 
men and women both, they may not have been discipled or mentored in a way that where they have a very strong foundation or understanding of what it means to present yourself in an appropriate way in all settings. And so there's, there, you know, our young girls or boys that show up at things and they're just, they're dressed totally inappropriately for the occasion. And I don't want to come at this and belittling them or demeaning them at all. I think that it's a reflection of us not doing our job as parents and as the older brothers and sisters to disciple and to nourish and to, um, help them grow in their understanding of what it means to present yourself appropriately in settings. So um, while having said that, we definitely have a problem in a lot of churches with not not doing that, not discipling young men and women well in how to dress and in how to present themselves. And again, it comes out more obviously in dress than anything else. Two things that I just want to say about that. One is think about how when you are going to someplace like, like church, would you, if you went to a job interview, let's say, would, are you going to dress different than you do when you go to a sports game. Like if you go to a football game and let's pretend there's no mosquitoes. I'm in the South, so there are, but let's pretend there's no mosquitoes and it's hot outside. You might dress a particular way. If you go to a job interview, are you going to dress the exact same way? I mean like a professional job interview. Likely if you're honest, the answer is no, you're not going to dress the exact same way because it's not appropriate to the occasion. And I want to bring the focus on church gathering for corporate worship with the people of God that is a particular occasion to which, yeah, I think there is an overemphasis on the quote, come as you are idea. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I, I mean, I, can, I can't, I cannot quantify or emphasize enough the grace and mercy of our Lord to give us gifts when we don't deserve them. But that, that's not the question here. The question is, how would we like to come with a correct posture of heart? And how would we like to reflect that in what we adorn ourselves with? Are we going to go and gather with God's saints, those that he's purchased with his blood, and reflect that to, to, the, to the nations, to our community, to our state, to our nation, to the world by dressing the same way that we do at a basketball game. Just think about that for a minute. Are you going to come and bring your, whenever I think about how I want to treat my, my husband, my kids, my mom and dad, my brothers and sisters, I think, I reflect and I say, did I, did I, and usually the answer is no, but did I treat them like they are the most important people in my life? Did I treat them like I treasure them? So my question is, do you treat your time in corporate worship as if you treasure it? As if it's like a diamond that is worth so much that you would give anything to get there. You just you want to be there with God's people and you want to reflect that in the way that you're preparing both your body, your mind and your spirit to go and worship. 
that goes all the way back. That's that's even beyond modesty. That's like, how are you sleeping the night before? How are you getting up and getting ready for the day? My parents did such an excellent job at making at helping us to prepare our minds and setting Sundays aside as a sacred time. And then that's kind of extended in my adult life to think about, you know, how I dress and how I present myself as a as a woman of God, now as a married woman of God. Um, when I come into a corporate worship setting. So I think we could do a lot better at helping young women dress appropriately, think appro- think, <laughs> think about just how their bodies are being shown in corporate worship. This generally, the reason I'm not focusing on men is because usually in any setting I've been in, men my dress poorly, and that is something that other men need to talk to them about, but they're not dressing in such a way that is um, catching the eye, if you will, and and tempting the eye to look longer at someone's body than necessary. As much as we can as women, we, we want to foster uh, a posture and an attitude in church such that our, our brothers and our fathers and everyone around us is able to gaze at God's beauty more than our own. And when we're doing things that can distract from that in God's house, I think that we're missing the point. It's not all about our freedom to wear whatever we want. It's about, hey, we're all together at this particular moment. Let's do everything we can to gaze people's eyes on Christ and not on ourselves. Okay, so it's already been about 30 minutes. I think that I'm just going to cut it there because this could this could go on for a really long time. But I have several topics coming up next time. Ooh, so many. It's going to be fun. <laughs> okay, everyone, thanks for listening. Until next time. Mm-hmm.